We're going to pick up where we left off last week, and we're going to go to James chapter 1, verse 18, and be looking primarily down to verse 21 today. Last week, I had lunch with um, my daughter Lily at her school, and I had a really encouraging conversation with another dad that was there having lunch with his son, and he was from Family Fellowship here in Greenville. And um, I want to pray for them this morning as they uh, gather as the people of God and they hear from their pastor, um, hopefully, uh, an anxious desire and a movement, a quick movement to share God's promises, to be a reminder to those people, to trust him. And uh, I tell you, when I had lunch with that, that dad, I heard an intentional, missional, passionate follower of Jesus and I heard him anxious to be with his people, anxious to be and talk about what God was doing and saying through the word. It was encouraging and I hope that for us this morning we'd be a people in a hurry, in a hurry to hear what God says and that during the week we'd be a people anxious and in a hurry to get here and gather to hear what he says and that's what I heard from him. So let's pray for them and for us this morning that we would be that people in a hurry to hear what he says. <clears throat> Father, it's uh, very humbling to ever try and get our head around your grace and to really rest in the cross this morning and to rest in, to trust you. It's hard, but we're thankful. I'm thankful for other dads in this community engaging in their body of believers engaging your word and following you and obeying you intentionally and being missional and on mission with their life and their job and their family. Thank you for that encouragement and we pray that you would increase family fellowship with those hearts. Not necessarily more people but with those kind of hearts, and that you would do the same here, that you would enrich this body with hearts that are in a hurry to be with you, near you, with your people, and hearing your word. And I pray that you would do that. Show us how to do that. Give us the understanding to do that rightly. And keep us, God, by your spirit, suspicious of our own hearts while we do this. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, it's, it's good for us to know before we jump into verse 18 this morning to remember where we've been. And last week, um, we looked at verse 13 through 17. God is not tempted. Don't be deceived. He is good. All good things come from him, including our trials. Our trials produce steadfastness in us. They give us the equipment that we need to trust him more. And while difficult, it's good. While life is difficult and while trusting him is difficult, it's good because he's the father of lights and he can be trusted. Remember, this book of James is written to the redeemed. It's written to those redeemed and believing and following him. 
And what James does is he shifts in verse 18. Now, most of you probably have a break in your Bible. If you'll look there at verse 19, there's usually a break there, and he starts talking about hearing and doing the word. I would probably, if I was doing that, I would move that up to verse 18 because that's where this shift takes place. This shift of now what do you do? Life is a trial. Life is a test. God is not tempting you. He's not pulling the rug out. Don't be deceived by your own heart into thinking that he's trying to kill you like his people did in Exodus. You're trying to kill us. You brought us out here in the middle of nowhere to kill us. And they looked at him suspiciously. And what the suspicious glance says is we don't trust you. And James would say, don't be deceived by your heart into thinking that. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. There is no shadow. He has no shadow, no shifting, no seasons. He's always the same. He's all light. He's nothing to hide. And everything that comes from him is good for us, even the trial. Because his trials and his tests come with promises. And so James then says, verse 18, Of his own will, he, the father of lights, brought us forth by the kind of word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. What is this? I want us to get a better picture this morning based on that passage. What, what are we doing here this morning? I want us to get a, a more full, rich, better, improved understanding of what exactly it is we're doing here. When we come and we gather and we sing and we hear the word preached and, and when we meet together, when we assemble, James would say in chapter 2, when we assemble, what is it? Is this just a moralistic shot in the arm? To be better boys and girls next week? Is it just a moralistic shot in the arm where we hear more principles to live by? Could be, but not completely true. Is this gathering that we do to hear this word preached, is it to soothe your conscience? Is it to make you feel better about the week that's passed or feel better about the week to come? It may do that. But that's not the complete trueness. Is this a check in the block for your spiritual resume? Man, I did it again. I made it. Got everybody dressed, hair combed. We got here. We did it. Man, that alone sometimes feels like, man, we did it. Check in the block. At least I feel better about getting everybody here halfway on time. And that can soothe us a little bit. Is that why we do this? Is this just a haphazard gamble for you? When, you? when you walk through the door, when you make the effort to get here and be with God's people, is it a haphazard gamble in your mind thinking, I hope I get something out of this. I hope he's funny so I don't fall asleep. I hope that somehow I'll walk away with something. I just, but you know, it's a gamble. I don't know if I will. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. Hope I do. 
Is that how we come to this and engage this gathering of his people and this, this Bible? Is it a haphazard gamble for you? Do you, do you think Saturday afternoon, huh, well, I guess we will go and gather with his people. And I hope, hopefully, something good. Hopefully, whoever preaches will, will do good and help me. But it's a gamble. I don't know if he will or I don't know if he won't. Why the preaching? Why this? Why, why do we always do this? Why, do some, why does somebody always expose this? Why is this always a part of the gathering of God's people? Why does somebody always preach? You know, couldn't there be more creative arts? There's some talented people in here. Couldn't we have more expression? It's worship. And we've abused that word to say it's really all about worship. And couldn't there be maybe more expressions? Maybe less preaching? Why do we have so much preaching? Why, when... Ben does it, it's an hour, and when Brad does it, it's just right at 30 minutes. <laughs> Those are all questions that we can bring in here. And that could be approach. That approach can really confuse us, and our hearts can come in here not knowing why. Why do we do this? And with this context of life really stinking a lot, full of tests, a consistent trial and test that James says. And for our, our own hearts to deceive us into thinking that he's out to get us. And for James to say, my beloved brethren, the endearment language that he uses, please don't let your hearts deceive you into thinking he's out to get you. He has all good for you, even your test and your trial. And then he says, you were brought forth by the word. And then he goes and he begins to talk about this gathering and hearing the word. So how do we approach this time? Life is a trial. God does not tempt us. or he, he does try us. Our hearts can't be trusted. He can be trusted. So, what? Verse 19, James chapter 1. Know this. My beloved brothers, there it is again. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So, what? Be quick to hear. Get this. The word. See, this, this can be, and we can leave this as a real moralistic list. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That works in just about every context as a good thing. Can you just imagine, at work. Being quick to hear, being slow to speak, and being slow to anger. That's a good thing. You can apply that anywhere, and it's good. Unless you're one of those people who says, I love hanging out with people who know everything and they never listen and they just really easily get angry. I love those people. <laughs> Nobody likes those people. This works in any context. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And you could just leave it right there. Moralistic message. It's a good thing to be this way. Three things. But for the people of God, it's bigger than that. It's more important than that. And it means more. Because what James is saying here, he's talking about the word. The context starts in 18 and it doesn't end till chapter 2. He's talking about the word and the gathering of God's people, the assembly. Be quick to hear this exposed. Remember last week? Why? Because his tests come with promises. And my heart doesn't want to trust him. And I need it. I need to be reminded 
that his word and his promises can be trusted. And so when I gather, uh, we become this people who are anxious and in a hurry to come and hear this preached and exposed rightly. So that's a characteristic of our life throughout the week. Sunday's coming. We don't worship this event. We don't even worship words. We come anxious to hear a living God and hear and be reminded of his promises. That's why we preach. That is why we gather. That's why we come. And we are to be quick to hear it. That's the how. That's the how you trust him. That's the how you get through the trial. Quick to hear. We don't have staying power on our own. Nobody does. You weren't equipped with staying power. You were equipped with a deceitful, depraved heart. That's what you were equipped with. And I need staying power. I need a steadfastness. And the only way I get that steadfastness is to be reminded that he can be trusted. And how do I do that? I gather with God's people and I'm reminded. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. A people eager to understand his promises, stories, his plans, his purposes. Understand his mandates. I forget them. I don't remember them. It's hard to remember his promises and his mandates and his stories and his poetry. I don't remember it. And I want to be characterized as somebody who the movement of my life is quick to come here and gather. I'm quick to be here. I'm quick to be reminded. I'm quick because I need it. My movement is anxious and in a hurry because I am fully aware of my inability to trust him. It sounds a little bit like 2 Peter. Turn quickly to 2 Peter. And let's just look at what Peter said. Why am I quick? Because I know what's at stake. Why am I quick to be here and gather and hear God's promises? Because I know what's at stake. 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter has just said, this is what's at stake. Your election is at stake. He's saying, I want your election to be sure. I want you to know. I want you to fully understand. I want you to get what's happened to you. I want you to get who you are and whose you are. And then he says this in verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in them. You hear this? I know you've heard some of this before. I know you say you know your Bible. I know you know where the books are. I know you just went to Bible study. I know that you have a devotional time during the week. I know you're established. I know, though you know them and you're established in the truth that you have, I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Even Peter knew. You're going to need this continually. When I leave, you're going to continually need this. You're going to need more. And, and next week, you're going to need more. And you're going to need another reminder and another reminder and another reminder. And, and what I hear Peter saying is, uh, you people, you need to be quick to be reminded. And I would say, a right heart and approach to this this morning would say, I'm quick. I'm quick. I'm quick to run in here and hear and listen and be reminded. That's a character of mine. I'm quick. I'm not quick on the basketball court. <laughs> but I am quick in my heart to be here. I am quick to be here and here. 
because I need that stirring up by way of reminder. It's a subtle, it's a subtle difference here. And I don't want you to miss this. This is uh, some of the intentions and the motives for being a part of a people and attending a worship gathering in an assembly. They're good motives, but not all completely true and right. Um, we, we have to be in a place where we're examining our hearts and searching our own hearts saying, why? Why am I doing this? Am I quick this week or am I reluctant? Am I, am I just doing this because that's what you're supposed to do? Because just kind of what you do? Or is, am I in a place where I know my own heart? Am I in a don't be deceived place where I say, I need this. I got to get to this. I got to be there. I got to be reminded. This is not simply a moralistic reminder. This is a reality check. This is where we're reminded, we come together and we're reminded of the ultimate reality. This is where we are, it's put right back in front of us, the way, the truth, the life. This is where troubled hearts come and are confronted once again with the, the way, the truth. And ultimate reality, the confusing fog-filled week is cleared when we're confronted again with the, the way, the truth, the life. And if we don't have that quick, anxious, in a hurry to have the fog cleared and be reminded of the truth, then, it, then we can do this. We can become regulators. I need to be there so that I can find out how to regulate everybody's morality some more this week. Now, while we do that for each other, while we do regulate each other's morality and we hold each other accountable based on what we hear, that's not just it. That's not all. Because what regulators of morality do, if that's where it ends for you, do you come here to hear this word so that you can regulate everybody else's morality? Regulators like to wear deputy badges. And we're not handing out any deputy badges. We do that life on life, but that's not where it ends. And unless we say and can say, I'm quick to hear this because I don't trust my heart and I want to trust him. That's the motive where we come in. We're quick. We're quick to be here, not to be the regulator, but to be regulated. And we'll see more of that in a minute. Slow to speak. Sort of goes hand in hand with the anger. Slow to speak. You ever known someone was angry before you heard them speak? Maybe you, maybe you can tell somebody's angry before you hear them speak. But rarely. You know what this sounds like? This slow to speak. If you're quick to hear, slow to speak. It sounds a little bit like caution to those that are wounded, hurt, confused, scared, and particularly angry with God and his people. Remember what James has just said. He, he has just come off of saying, life is hard. God will test you. Do not be deceived into thinking this is from him and that he's trying to kill you and pull the rug out. He's not tempting you. He's trying you for your good so you can trust him more and more and more. Be slow to speak. Don't be angry. And so I hear this caution. This caution for the wounded. This caution for the hurt. Caution for the scared. Caution 
for the confused. Whoa, 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 whoa. Easy. Slow down just a minute and consider. Because if you're slow to speak, all of a sudden, then you can be quick to hear. If you're, if you're quick to respond out of a hurt, confused, scared, wandering heart, that's quick to speak. Slow to speak enables you to be quick to hear. Hear what you really need. It's the ultimate helpmate to quick to hear. And if you have any kid, teenager, baby in your house, if you're, if you're talking, you're not listening. You know that phrase. If you're talking, you're not listening. And you can't get what you need to trust him more if you're responding. I think it's important to note that more than just being slow to speak, remember, that, that works in any context, but there's a cool caution from James here that brings balance to what Paul says. In James chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but in James chapter 3, he starts off chapter 3 with, not many of you should be teachers. Uh, remember, what he says here, be quick to hear, be slow to speak. He didn't say, don't speak. He didn't say, keep quiet. He just said, your movement to speak regarding this ought to be slow. Your, your movement to challenge and question should be slow. Your, your movement towards speaking regarding this and his promise ought to be slow. It doesn't mean you don't. But your movement to hear it is quicker. Do you see it? And James says, not many of you should be teachers. But Paul balances that in Hebrews 5 with, some of y'all are still on milk. And you need to move on. And many of you should be teaching by now. So you have James saying, not many of you should do this. He's talking similar Greek word, different meaning. Not many of you should be the master teacher, the judgment seat master teacher. But Paul would say, most of you should have something to teach. <laughs> do you see it? Do you see how when you put those together, it means there's this cautious urgency about speaking regarding this. His truth, his promises, his word, his life. What has brought us to life, we're slow to speak, but we're quick to hear it. It doesn't mean we're silent. It doesn't say keep quiet, slow. Quicker to hear it, slower to speak regarding it. Do you hear that clearly? Do you see it? It's talking about our movement regarding it and our approach to it. I'm quicker to hear it than I am to speak it. That's what James is saying. It's starting to sound a lot like humility. Starting to sound like meekness. Key word, meekness. It's starting to sound like an humble, patient, meek heart that embraces the word. Man, I'm quick to hear it because I need it. And I'm slow to speak regarding it because I don't trust my heart. Angry. Here's three things. I just, when I'm angry, these things happen. Three observations, okay? This is free. Three observations. When I'm angry, I'm talking about my life. You see if you hear anything similar or familiar. When I'm angry, I'm not listening. When I'm angry, I am not listening. And this is as much about my disposition as it is outward expression. 
You can know when I'm angry about something because you hear the tone of my voice, and I'm saying a lot. I'm just, lot. I'm throwing lots at you. When people are throwing stuff at you, voice raised, you think, what, angry? But this is as much about my disposition. I may not be doing that. I may not be outwardly expressing it. But inside, I'm frustrated. And my disposition is, God, I don't trust you. I don't trust your people and your leadership. And it's this, look, I'm getting angry. And, and I may not be saying a lot, but in my heart, I'm saying so much, I can't listen to you. And my heart deceives me. And here again, he doesn't say not to be angry. He says, be slow to be angry. Don't trust your heart. Be slow. Be careful with that emotion that you have that I've given you. Be careful with it and be slow to it and cautious with it. Because it's very difficult to be angry rightly. And when I'm angry, I'm suspicious because my heart is a swindler. I'm suspicious of my heart. When I feel anger coming on, when I feel confused by life and the trial and the test, when I'm confused by what's going on around me, my first reaction is to get frustrated and angry with God and his people and to run from them. Why me, God? Why have you given me this? Why am I in this situation? There's a lot of words right there. Do you hear my voice? I'm getting intense. I'm saying a lot. And I'm not listening. And I'm suspicious of everyone around me, and especially God. And James would say, God cannot tempt you. He cannot be tempted. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Be quick to hear this. Be slow to speak it. And be very careful with the emotion of anger. When I'm angry, I'm potentially divisive. James takes one vice out of the vice list. One. When he's talking about the worship and the gathering and the assembly of God's people and the preaching of his word, he just takes one. Anger. And I can't help but think it's because it is the most, it's potentially, I think, probably the most divisive and damaging emotion to the people of God. Anger divides and splits. And you say things. And you do things. And you think things out of a deceived heart that's not slow with that emotion, but quick with that emotion. And you divide. And there's a caution here. And I'm potentially divisive when I'm angry. In the context of gathering of God's people in the word... These exhortations to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, man, they become big. They become pivotal to corporate worship. So we are becoming, this is our wool. James has given us some wool here. We are a people becoming quick to hear and be reminded of his promises, slow to speak, not completely quiet, but slow to speak about it, and slow to anger. And we receive it with meekness. Look at verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. What he's speaking of there is right anger. Anger 
towards the enemy. Anger towards things that do not worship God, that are not worship of God. And that's tricky. And what James is saying here, it's tricky. You be slow with anger. Verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. This putting away, Scott Sutton preached a wonderful message in the 1st of December about how we have this aggressive stance and aggressive action towards sin and towards our heart. There's this, I want to kill the sin. I, I want to kill the sin in me. I want to kill my actions. I want to murder it. I want to cut its lifeline. And so we have this aggressive, James would say, putting away of all the sin. We, we consistently fight and strive to put it away. Paired with a suspicious eye towards our own heart. Don't be deceived by your heart. Why? Why would we kill and murder sin? Why? Do, are we suspicious of our own heart? So that we can receive what we need to live. So that we can receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our soul. That's why we take that. We don't take it so we can look like we're clean living people. We don't take an aggressive stance towards sin and put away filthiness so that we can impress anybody. We do it so that we can hear and receive the word with meekness. Here, here, here it is. We don't receive this any other way. A meek heart. One that's humbly patient. Slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to know my need for it. That's the meek heart that really receives the word. This meekness, man, this brings you to a pretty needy, dependent, weak, helpless place. And that's the people of God. That's us. Let me say it again. Needy, dependent. Helpless and weak. That is the place we are primed to receive what we need. Meek. So that we can receive, notice, an implanted, notice our action. What is our action? Kill sin. Quick to hear. Slow. Cautious. What's his action? He puts the word in us. Verse 18, he brought us forth. He brought us to life through the word. He does the bringing forth. He does the implanting. We kill sin, slow, cautious, quick to hear. Because we're needy, dependent, weak, and helpless. It's a good place to be. And the, the needy, dependent, weak, and helpless are slow to get angry. I am never meek in receiving anything that I don't think I need. Let me say that again because I think I got confused. <laughs> I'm never meek when I receive something I don't think that I need. Let me say it like this. If um, somebody gives me advice that I don't think I need, I'm insulted. 
When somebody gives me, offers up some advice, and I don't think I need, I don't think I need to hear that, hey, I already got that. You're telling me something I already know. You see my posture right there? You're, you're telling me something I already know. I'm insulted, which is going to breed anger, which is going to be sin. But if I think, thank you, I need that, then all of a sudden I'm meek and I receive it. Um, somebody were to walk up and give me an old dirty coat. Hey, you won't need this next winter and walk off. An old dirty coat. You think I don't have enough coats in my closet that you're going to give me an old dirty one? No, you really need this. Well, I don't think I need it. I'm a little insulted that you would walk up and give me your old dirty coat. I got plenty. Do you see it? That's not meek. And you and I can't be meek as we receive this. Somebody walks up. And they hand me 50 cents. Uh, I'm sure you probably need this. Here's 50 cents. What? <laughs> 50 cents? I, I can't buy my kid's gum with that. That's insulting. Why, why would you think I need 50 cents? Here's some deodorant. That's insulting. <laughs> because I don't think I need 50 cents. And I don't think I need deodorant. You're telling me I need something? And you're giving me something I don't think I need. Do you see it? The meek heart is the heart that can be quick to hear. Because if you stand there and you're able to receive the word, you're at a place where you're quick to hear it. A meek heart says, I need it. I need this gathering. I need to be with God. I need to be with his people. I need to hear what he says. And I'm not insulted by what he says and he promises. I need it. That's a meek heart. Maybe this morning we search ourselves and we say, hey, what do we really need? What do we really need? I'll be slow with my action and quick to hear what his action is. I'll be slow with my movement, but quick to hear him. That's a meek heart. Without the proper soil of meekness in our hearts, a right view of my trials and my testing, aware of my own deceitfulness, and without an aggressive, suspicious eye towards my own sin, what happens to the word? Well, don't turn there, but Luke 18, 8, 8, verse 13, when Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower, listen to this. What, so what is the, what happens to the heart that's not meek and receives the word. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while. And in the time of testing, fall away. Without this soil of my heart being meek, of being, yes, I need it. I need you. My heart's deceptive. I can't trust you. Without your grace. That meek heart receives it and it takes root. The word does. It's an implanted seed of life. That's implanted in my soul. And when it's implanted into a meek heart, it takes root. If, if it implants and drops on a heart that's not meek. Not saying, I need this. I must have it. I'm needy and dependent. I don't trust my heart. I only can trust you. Then it takes root. But if it's not that way, these have no root. They believe for a while, 
But when the time of testing comes, they fall away. Remember the context for James is testing. This first chapter. He's going to test you. Trust him, not yourself. How do you do that? You're reminded to be meek and quick. You've heard of the movie Quick and the Dead. We're to be the quick and the meek. That's our wool. We're not quick and dead. We're not cool. We're not brave. We're not courageous. We're quick and we're meek. And it doesn't look too impressive. But it will be an aroma of life to some. And some people will say, man, I like that. That smells good. Quick and meek. It's not, I don't hear much about you, but I hear a lot about an implanted seed of life that I want and I need. The quick and the meek, that's us. Oh God, cultivate in our hearts a meekness. Take out all the rocks. Last week we looked at an illustration in a psalm. And I want you to look there again today. Psalm 73. Turn with me to Psalm 73. Just a, what I think is a beautiful illustration of how David goes through this very process of God testing him, him getting angry, and then he comes to the people of God and hears his word. Psalm chapter 73. David starts out in a really good place, okay? And then he starts recalling what happened to him. Watch this. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Here's where he starts recalling. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Now hear this. Nothing bad happens to anybody till they die. Only me. The wicked, they got smooth sailing all the time. Nothing ever happens to them. Now, yeah, they'll die sometime, but no, nothing. See these sweeping absolute statements he's making? Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are, in tr they are not in trouble as others are. That's hilarious to me. They're not in trouble as others are. He won't lump himself in there. He's too pious to do. He's, his heart's too pious to say, well, they got it better than me. He's just saying, man, there's a lot of people that are suffering and these people have it all good. And It's like when you drive up with a new car and someone says, must be nice. You've got it so good. Other people don't have it that good. I'm not saying that's me. I'm just saying other people don't have it that good. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. The people who don't love you, God, they got it great. But the rest of mankind, everybody else is hurting. This dude is bitter. He's hurting. He's pitiful. The rest of mankind. And then verse 6 through 12. This is basically, we won't read those, but this is basically what he says in 6 through 12. He just starts listing. Man, everybody that loves you, God, has got it rough. 
But all these people that don't love you, they got it so good. You're giving all these wicked people a break, and you're not giving me any breaks. In fact, you're trying to kill me. And then watch verse 13. This is when he gets really mad. All in vain I have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. And if I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. I have done so good. I've kept myself clean and innocent. I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to do good. I'm trying to be your good little boy. And all you're doing is striking me down. So all of this striving to be good and follow you, he said, verse 13, it's in vain. God, this isn't worth it. Following you is hard. You're testing me, and it ain't worth it. David saying this. He's pitiful. But here is the beautiful part. Watch this. Verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until. Underline and circle until. Until I went to the sanctuary of God. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about the temple. Life stinks. Bills, kids, work, shepherding my family. It's too hard. I can't do this. I, I get one step ahead and you strike me down and test me again. It's not worth it. But then I come to people of God. I come in here, not to this building, but to this assembly. I come in here with these people, and I'm reminded, oh yeah, it is worth it. Oh yeah. Watch what he's reminded. Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I discern their end. And I remember, crown of life. James 1.12, crown of life. I get Jesus. He's the only true. He's producing something in me. Oh, yeah. When I come to the people of God and I hear this and I'm reminded of his promises, I'm quick to hear it, slow to speak regarding it and slow to anger, I'm reminded, oh, yeah. The weak, confusing. All in vain. Everybody gets a break and I don't catch one. And I come to the people of God and we assemble together and we hear the word preached. And we say, oh yeah, sanctuary, rest. Oh yeah, what is ultimately real? Oh yeah. That's why we gather. To be with him and to be reminded. Oh yeah. Keep reading. Truly. Verse 18, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How are they destroyed in a moment? How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when no one awakes. When, when one awakes, O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise 
them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered and when I was pricked in the heart, that means angry. When I was ticked off at you, I was brutish and I was ignorant. I was like a beast toward you, God. I was angry. I was deceived in my heart toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Verse 21 and 22 are angry. 23 and 24, meek. Do you see it, the difference? I was embittered, pricked in the heart, brutish and arrogant, a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I'm with you. You hold my hand. You guide me. I don't guide you. You guide me. Your counsel matters, not mine. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? I'm reminded of Peter. Jesus, who else are we going to go to? Who else is really true? Who else is ultimate? Where else am I going to be on Sunday? Why would I be anywhere else? Except with the people of God being reminded of his promises, sanctuary. And here's the cool thing. David goes to the temple. We go throne room. Do you see it? We have Jesus. We're redeemed through the cross. He ushers us into God. And when we come together, God is in and amongst his people. And we're hearing and reminded of the word. We worship throne room. He had the courts. Still good, but not full. <laughs> not the full worship and the full rest that we have in sanctuary. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail. I recognize that my heart is deceitful and I'll continually fail myself. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. Verse 28. But for me, it is good to be near God. He's talking about the sanctuary again, the temple. For me, it's good to be with his people and be near him and be reminded of who he is and what he says. That's good for me because I don't trust my heart. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all of your works. I hope that we have a better understanding and a a rightly understanding of why we gather. And that you don't come here so that people will say, yeah, they came. Or soothe your conscience. Or now I've got a way to regulate everybody's morality. Or now um, I'll feel better about the week because I got everybody up here. Or I hope that we approach this time together, needy, dependent, and helpless, rushing and quick to hear what we need to endure the test. I hope we're the quick and the meek. I hope he's producing the quick and the meek here. I hope he's gathering the quick and the meek. I hope he's doing that in my heart. I want him to. I want him to produce the quick and the meek. Father, it is so difficult sometimes to get our head around something that we're not good at. 
and to approach you in a way that leaves us out of the equation a lot. I pray that you will, um, as we reason this afternoon with our families and this week, as we reason together based on what your word says, as we reason together, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, and what meekness is and how to approach you, I pray that there would be more clarification that you would remove the rocks in the hearts you would cultivate the hearts of those that aren't meek so that the seed won't fall away and that your word will take root in your people so that we would be salty and bright that we would have a right view of what we do here on Sunday morning that we would have a correct appropriate God honoring view and that you would turn us you would turn us into a people that's quick and meek And not angry, opinionated, hurting, pitiful people, but a helpless, weak, meek people who are quick to hear what you have to say and quick to be together and be together in your presence. It's only because of Jesus and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.